happy Monday and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Rocketeer Minute where, well, previously each and every day we've been going over one minute of probably the greatest adventure movie Walt Disney's ever made, the 1991 Joe Johnston-directed feature, The Rocketeer. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm Hal Bryan, an airplane nerd from the Experimental Aircraft Association here in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And Jim, we're back. We're not only back... You're listening to a special Joe Johnston episode of the Rocketeer Minute. Once again, here are Hal Bryan, Jim O'Kane, and director Joe Johnston. Ah, thank you, Jordan Rich. And back to you, Hal. (laughs) I always love being interrupted by Jordan. But... You know, when we when we officially sort of wrapped the first run of this show, you know, we always knew we'd we'd come back if uh, if we had a good reason. And boy, I can't think of a better reason than why we're back today with uh, with a Hollywood legend. I don't mind saying. Um, and again, I promise to get the gushing out early. But uh, the director extraordinaire Joe Johnston. Joe, welcome uh, to the Rocketeer Minute. Thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us. Thank you for having me. This is. Uh I want you guys to know that the, that this is the first podcast I've ever done, so um, you'll have to help me stumble through this. Well, hopefully not your last, because this is uh, it, it's it's an unusual format. But uh, we noticed that people that people that are on usually like it and they'll come back. So hopefully uh, you'll be you'll be back again for more. Well, that, that, um, we, that's up to you. Okay. <laughs> no pressure whatsoever. No, no, it's easy, right. easy going. Well, mostly what we, we've been looking at this show over the past hundred and some odd episodes as the missing uh, commentary for the, you know, the Blu-ray edition that never, never showed up. And, and we finally, now we can finally add the director's commentary. Uh-oh. So I appreciate that very much. Okay. Just keep in mind, it was uh, almost 30 years ago, guys. So there may be a few lapses in my, uh, <laughs> in the, the, my memory of it, though. Oh, it's 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 fine, but uh, we're we're probably gonna work work backwards. I mean, since we'll, we'll go with the more recent stuff and then mm-hmm. and then go through. Uh, here you are, you know, decades on from from the Rocketeer, and uh, you know, so many so many great movies in between since then. Uh, and uh, one of the things that that Hal and I always talk about is how this was kind of the stepping stone uh, to your to your latest success with uh, with Captain America: The First Avenger. And, uh, and there's so many similarities between the characters and the, and the style, and you know, most importantly, that that whole feel of uh, 1930s, 1940s, which really seems to be your milieu. You really, you you really have a knack for sh- you know putting almost like a, like the author Jack Finney does it, that, that putting people in the past and feeling mm-hmm. it surrounding you. Um, it, it it does seem to be the one that brings you the most. I don't know if it brings you the most pleasure, but you seem to swim very well in those, in those waters. Well, I, I love the '30s and uh, and the '40s as well. But but you know, it's it's um, if I could uh, go back to a decade, you know, if I had that magical time machine, I think I would choose the '30s. Um, just for one thing, you know, I, I I trained as an artist, and and visually, the '30s is just such an exciting period. For a lot of different reasons, you know, but um, it's just—I mean, the you know the the styles and the and the the fashion and the cars and the airplanes and everything that 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 streamlined decade uh, was just—you know—has always been very interesting to me. And um, when uh, I saw that, when I first discovered Dave Stevens' graphic novel, *The Rocketeer*, I said, "Wow, this guy really." has it figured out he really he really gets the 30s and then when I found, found out that Disney had uh, 
the rights to the Rocketeer, I got very excited about, you know, maybe this is, maybe this is my second Disney film, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I've, uh, I, I love the, I, I love period films in general, but, um, you know, the thirties would be my favorite. Definitely. Yeah. I, I, we, we go on to the minutiae so much in the, well, I'm, I'm sure you listened to the previous episode, but we, we've gone on to so much minutiae in the show. That's so accurate. And, uh, from what we've heard from from people like uh, Danny Bilson, that that the that Dave Stevens had like a compendium of everything that was going on in Los Angeles in say mm. 1938, yeah. uh, even right down to like the, the the stop signs and the names of the motor club that had put up the kind of stop signs. That that level of detail is just astonishing when we're when we're going through your movie a minute at a time. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, a lot of the uh, credit there goes to uh, Jim Bissell, production designer. Um, who was, uh, you know, he, he took, he took the graphic novel as sort of a jumping off place and, uh, you know, translated the, that, you know, two dimensional image to, to the screen. I think he did a fantastic job, um, you know, production design in the, the picture. When when you were you, when you were going into into the Rocketeer when you first when you first started looking at it, you looked at Dave Stevens' work and you had it, was this before uh, you had started on Honey I Shrunk the Kids or was this no it was where, it was it was after Honey I Shrunk the Kids um, and um, you know I, Honey I Shrunk the Kids was my first feature and it was uh, we shot the whole thing in Mexico and uh, Churubusco Studios down in Mexico City. And it was a challenge, you know, and, and I came out of it, um, you know, we'd had, we'd had several confrontations with, with, uh, with Disney, with the, with the people in charge. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go do something else. I've, I've, I've done my time with Disney and, uh, you know, we'll be friends again someday, but I'm going to go do something else. And then, uh, the Rocketeer came along and, uh. I decided to, to to give it another shot, you know, just because I, it, it was something that I I couldn't resist the idea of uh, of directing uh, a picture based on Dave Stevens' novel. It was sort of everything I had been looking for up to that point. Did they approach you, or did you? Where, what was that? What was that? Process? No, I approached them. Um, I, I I actually saw the uh, the graphic novel, and I had my agent investigate the rights to it and I had no idea that Disney controlled them um, so it was sort of a matter of you know how how <laughs> how bad do I want this do I want to go in and, and you know and make the pitch that I'm the guy to do it um, which I, I did you know and the you know the the relationships between studio heads and directors are always uh, <laughs> they can always be a little contentious at times, but uh, you know we ended up ended up uh, all being friends, and uh, I've worked for Disney a couple of times since then. So um, of course, you know, it's there's a regime change every seven years, so <laughs> you get all new people in there. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's I've had a I've had a good time at Disney. I've made I've had a lot of fun there. So Joe, can you tell us a little bit more about uh, what you remember of that? pitch was there was there any one thing in particular that you think put Disney over the top and said yes Joe Johnston is the guy well you know I I didn't want to make a film that looked like it had been made in the 30s 
and I think that that was one of their fears, um, that that's what this would be. And I, I said, I want to capture the, the, the period and the, the way it looks and feels and, and the music and, and the sound and everything. I want, it to, I want to capture that, but I don't want it to look like uh, this film was made in the 30s. And um, yeah, I, I told them that I wanted it to look like a, uh, the, the, the impression I wanted was that this is sort of a hand-tinted postcard of Los Angeles in the 30s with these very warm, inviting tones. And I want you to feel, I, 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 the color was as, as important to me as anything else, any other aspect of the, of the production. And I just wanted it to, to be very inviting. And, uh, you know, and, and I, you know, it's, there's no question it's nostalgic. There is a, there's sort of a, a love of Los Angeles in the 30s that, that I hope comes through the, uh, comes through, uh, you know, onto the screen. But, um, you know, the, whatever I said, I don't know what, what did push them over the, the edge. You know, uh, which is sort of an interesting term to use when you're dealing with the studio, but uh, they they did uh, eventually decide that uh, you know that I would be the guy to do it, um, and then we're off to the races. It, it used to be a lot easier to get a film made, you know, because you'd have a couple of meetings with the studio, and they say, "Yeah, let's uh, let's go make the movie," and you're off to the races. And now it's like you know, there's there's pitches and meetings and it seems to go on forever but uh so i sort of long for the old days when everybody just said yeah let's go let's do it <laughs> what was that time frame like when you you went in and made the pitch how long before they told you or did you have a good feeling at the end of the, that first meeting uh i i did you know and honey i shrink the kids was was a big success uh financially you know it cost uh 18 million to make and it it grows to think something like 136 domestic. So, um, you know, that I think probably more than anything that helped my pitch, uh, you know, which did you, did you have, um, oh, sorry, I didn't no, no. Did, did you have, did you have any, uh, assistance from, uh, folks at silver screen partners? Cause they were bankrolling honey. I shrunk the kids. And I know they later added in money for, uh, for a rocketeer. So I didn't know if you had assistance on their side. I, I don't know if we did or not. It, that's, that whole uh, aspect of it is sort of above my pay grade. You know, I don't get involved in, in fact, I don't, even, don't really even want to know what things cost because uh, sometimes that influences you, uh, you know, in, in, in the choices you make while you're shooting the film. So, um, you know, I, I prefer not to know. <laughs> I don't want to be influenced. I, I don't want to know if something's too expensive to, to have. Uh, you did uh, one of the things that uh, is really remarkable about this movie is the amount of practical effects that you used while you were doing it, and uh, you know you, you came out of uh, out of Lucas Films, which is very you know digitally oriented. They, you know they did use practical, but the push for digital using CGI. I'm always amazed at how much you relied on real stunt pilots and real you know real <laughs> aircraft and things like that, and real live stunts going on. Was that a conscious decision or was it a uh, no, it was a necessity. You have to remember that uh, this was long before the days of, of CG animation. You know, there was, there was the, uh, in 1990, 91, there was just the beginning of things that you could do digi digitally on the screen. Uh, and they were very expensive. So, you know, we had to, uh, 
we had to rely on on the real planes and uh, and the real the real stunt action and everything. There's no I don't think there's any CG of any kind in the in the in the film. I wish there was a couple of places where we really could have used it. You know, I won't tell you what they are because then you'll go back and look at the film and say, oh wow, you know, if only they. <laughs> what was he thinking? Yeah. 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 Hey, um, <clears throat> having spent uh, what 110, 112 some episodes, uh, you know, sort of lovingly going through this movie minute by minute, I, I'm hard pressed to think of anything you might say that would make us go back and sort of raise an eyebrow and uh, or, or frown a little bit. But well, I, I'm, I'm glad that you haven't. I hope you haven't noticed it. There's one thing that <laughs> just drives me crazy. Uh, so I, so much so that I have to sort of avert my eyes when it's on the screen uh so i don't i don't cringe too hard but uh, i'm uh you know maybe maybe in the in, in another episode i'll tell you what that is <laughs> way to tease the future that's uh, that's wonderful yeah. one, one thing i ha- one thing i have to ask to uh to clear up something from uh our ilm uh, friend amy young uh who made the decision about only making one uh, uh luxembourg when it was time to blow it up well it was very, it was very, a, a very complicated model, and um, I believe that the framework on that was laser cut, and it took something like six weeks to assemble the the model. But I believe that when they were having having it laser cut, they they had some backups made for the framework and and everything, because. I don't know what Amy told you on this, but you know that the first attempt to blow it up was a complete disaster. Right. Yeah. That's that's what we were yeah we were, we were hearing, and and what she said was they told us only to, you know they don't want to spend money on having a backup, and I just didn't know who was it that made that call. I'm assuming that the Disney money folks said, well, you don't really need that. But yeah, I I don't know. Again, that was you know something that since it did involve money, I, I didn't really want to know what what it was, but um, it would have been. A smart move, and I think that actually somebody, somebody in the model shop did decide, hey, let's you know, since we're cranking these things out, uh, let's have them make a an extra set. But it's it was the assembly that took so long on the thing. Um, oh. <laughs> the uh, I don't I don't know how you ever would have seen the footage of the first attempt, but it is it was pretty horrifying. You know, it went it went very badly wrong, and uh, the kind of thing where it, you know, everyone is just sort of standing there with their mouth open, wondering, "What do we do now?" Uh, but um, we don't want to talk about that. Yeah, <laughs> it all, it all came out okay at the end. Okay, yeah, sure that's did. true. At the end, yeah, sure did. Um, Joe, just quickly, sort of touching back on what we were, uh, we were talking about just a moment ago about uh, you know, practical effects and things and using real airplanes. It, uh, I mean, it is important, I think, to point out for listeners who may may not be quite as well aware of your of your background. Um, Jim, you mentioned ILM. Uh, so you know, Joe was there working on miniatures and and effects on on the first Star Wars trilogy. Came back as art director for Empire and Jedi, art director for Raiders of the Lost Ark. So I know you've touched on it a bit, Joe, but I I, I still have always wanted to wonder what was you know what was your thought process to say. You know, I want to put the star of the movie uh, in the the back seat of a highly modified, you know, what was then a fifty sixty year old airplane, mm-hmm. to shoot the GB footage, rather than um, obviously, as you said, no CG. But you could have done models, you could have done, you know, 
blue screen, green screen, or you know whatever the 1991 equivalent of rear projection was by that point. Yeah. Um, what what made you decide to do that, and was that was that a hard sell for anybody involved? Um, well, we didn't really tell the studio that we were going to do it uh, <laughs> because they probably would have you know said, "Are you out of your mind?" But um, you know, the I talked to the to the pilot and the uh, the guys who had this three seater plane, and um, you know they it had, they they'd used it countless times before. They said it's very safe. We're not going to be doing anything crazy, you know, no stunts or anything. We're just going to be sort of do, doing level flying at, you know, under a thousand feet. Not that that makes anything safe, because you know, as you know, in in aviation, the the higher you are, the safer you are. But uh, you know, it was they convinced me that it was a that it was a safe thing to do. So we shot the footage, you know, of of uh, Billy Campbell in the plane and uh, and. We, you know, sent off our dailies, and we got a note from from one of our executives at Disney a couple of days later, uh, and the comment was, "This uh, this process photography doesn't look real." <laughs> and, and I said, "Oh, really? What do you what do you mean?" She said, "Well, I am I I, I I think I'm seeing like a you know a blue fringe around his." hair it just doesn't look like you know this blue screen just it doesn't look i said you know then i told them that you know billy campbell was really in the plane and we flew him around the thing and they and they, then they sort of freaked out you know and it, and it, it had it had already happened he was back on the ground and everybody was safe but it was like <laughs> don't do that again we also got we also got criticized for buying uh stock footage of adolf hitler which we didn't, which we didn't do. Also, you know, we shot that that black and white footage of the uh, the rocket test up at uh, in, in Santa Maria, out just out in one of the the fields, you know, next to the, the runway. I don't know why they thought that the Germans would have actually tested a rocket pack on some guy's back, but uh, the guy who played uh, Adolf Hitler was actually the the short order cook in the Bulldog Cafe. Oh, okay. same, no kidding. Same guy. Yeah, he looked exactly like oh, Hitler. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I think we can count on the fingers of less than one hand the number of times Hitler has appeared in a Disney movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm I, pretty sure that's a I, safe bet. I think it probably is, too. <laughs> that one, the Fuhrer's face. And it, but... yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. And that was, uh, uh, that was hand-drawn animation, so you, yeah. that, that may not count. <laughs> Speaking of hand-drawn animation, uh, who did the uh, who did the news the uh, the captured German uh, uh, oh, film? It was one guy who did uh, most of it himself, and I I'm going blank on his name. Um, he's in the credits, oh, okay, but uh, I can't remember his name. But he I, he did a fantastic job, and and it it was the kind of thing that he 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 pretty much designed it himself. I mean, I I just told him you know what it should be, uh, you know a, a uh, propaganda animation about their plans to take over the the world using these rocket packs, and he 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 took that and he pretty much designed it all himself. You know, he showed me storyboards, which were all great, and I said, "Yeah, do it." Yeah, you'll have to look in the in the credits for his name. We'll track. He, we haven't. We've had you on now, so we'll have to find him. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Show. But uh, but no, fantastic stuff. Um, we are actually running out of time for today. But if uh, Joe, if you could come back tomorrow, we will 
be loving having Not people to talk some more about this. Sure. Okay, well, let, let's let's do that for folks uh, who missed the entire series so far. Please go to rocketeerminute.com and download everything there. If you don't want to, go to Apple Podcasts, and we have a giant library of, uh, of previous shows that you can listen to in any order you wish. Um, but uh, if you want to talk back with us, too, we're also on Twitter at Rocketeer Minute uh, or on Facebook at the Rocketeer Minute Bulldog Cafe. So uh, come back tomorrow as we continue this great discussion uh, with uh, Director Joe Johnston. So we'll see you here tomorrow. Until next time, over and out. Get him, kid.